What we do here is go back, 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 back. back. And welcome into episode 12 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. I am your host, David Statman, joined as always by my good friends, Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long. As we are here for the second part of our special two-part episode, talking about the G1 Supercard, New Japan Pro Wrestling and Ring of Honor from the Madison Square Garden last April. Last week, we went through... Pretty much the first half of the show, a lot of shorter matches, a lot of random guys just to talk about, just remembering guys left and right. It was just a bonanza. This half of the sh- this this half of the two parter, we have the second half of the show, and we're mainly going to be talking about four really big matches, the four main matches of the show: Zack Saber Jr. versus Hiroshi Tanahashi for the British Heavyweight Championship, Kota Ibushi and Tetsuya Naito for the IWGP Intercontinental Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Matt Taven, Jay Lethal, and Marty Skrull in a three-way ladder match for the Ring of Honor World Championship. And then the main event, Switchblade Jay White and Kazuchika Okada for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Boys, how are you guys doing? Hey, Jake, am I I allowed to go first, or do you want to go first? I'll allow it. All right. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, You know, it's uh, another week, another podcast, and I got to say, I always look forward to doing the podcast on Tuesday nights. It's just one of the highlights of my week, just getting to talk wrestling with you two guys. And I just feel Aww, like I have to, we don't we don't appreciate so each other enough in this world. I just have to, you know, put some positivity out there. I appreciated watching you absolutely shove a uh, a double <laughs> cheeseburger and a uh, McChicken from McDonald's into your freaking face in like three minutes while we were preparing to report this record this podcast. He unhinged his jaw like a snake. <laughs> Listen, I spend the entire time that we do this just staring at myself in the call, so I don't even look at either of you. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. I, I've actually found myself watching more wrestling in the past like two months than I have in a long time. I started listening to Bruce Pritchard's uh, podcast again, so I've been watching some older wrestling. Like I just watched uh, WrestleMania 13, which has the uh, Steve Austin-Bret Hart submission match, which I always thought for some reason was the main event, but it wasn't. It was uh, Undertaker Psycho Sid, which not good. So Psycho Sid, cool. <laughs> Psycho Sid, cool. Remember in like nineteen ninety six when he would come out and they had like the the fireworks in the ring that spelled out his name. Yeah, yes. That was the cool. That it, like no one has ever matched how cool that was. But the match was bad. But I mean, and now I'm about to watch like Cyber uh, Cyber Tuesday two thousand and two. I think is the next one. So I'm watching or like two thousand eight. I think I can't remember, but. It's all really bad wrestling, so to be able to watch some of these matches again was a lot of fun. I will say, I also find myself watching a lot more of like David's recommend, David and yours, Jake, uh, <laughs> recommendations. Uh, I actually just watched what was it Alex Zane and Blake Christian? Christian, yes. The, the highlight from was it Gelatinella's Escape from L.A.? Was that what the one you were talking about? No, I was talking about the one that happened literally like two days ago. I okay. sent you a video, but I mean, like, <laughs> I found. They've had multiple matches, and they're the most insane thing you've ever seen in your life. It's like wrestling from, like, the 23rd century. It is nuts. Like, I I was watching the one from uh, Escape from L.A., and Blake Christian is not my kind of wrestler because he is just, like, I don't know, he looks small, and that's kind of, like, a hard thing to overcome. Um, 
But I will say Alex Zane is a guy that we're going to see a lot of in the future, I think. But yeah. the matches, I'm like, oh, this is just a lot of flippy shit. And then you get it to the, and then you get to the finish and you just see what they're doing to each other. I'm just like, all right, so they they brought me around on this damn thing because it was <laughs> just impressive watching those highlights. Yeah, it's freakish. And 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 to uh, I don't, uh, Jake was talking about watching uh, listening to wrestling podcasts. I will give a recommendation of my own. Arn Anderson has a podcast Ooh, I've yeah. been listening to uh, with Conrad Thompson. It's just called it's just called Arn, and it's great. I love it. So big shout out to Arn Double A the Enforcer. Hmm. He's got a good podcast. Eddie Kingston ripped him the other night on uh, Dynamite, and it was a lot of fun. Dude, I was so psyched when Eddie Kingston showed up. <laughs> I've been—I feel like I've been waiting for Eddie Kingston to get his break for like forty-six years. Everybody has, and then he shows up on Dynamite and just kills it. And it was—it was—it was nice to see. It's just one of those things that you love to see. Awesome, absolutely great. Uh, speaking of things you love to see, again, four really good matches coming up that we're about to talk about. On the G1 Supercard for Madison Square Garden. So if you guys are ready, uh, let's remember some guys, shall we? Whoa. All right. So starting off, we we left off when last we met last week, going through the first half of the show. Uh, talked about the Honor Rumble. Talked about a bunch of the other matches on this card. A lot of kind of quicker ones, like eight, nine minutes. And we left off with the uh, four-way tag team championship match. And, of course, the infamous Enzo and Cass angle where those two absolute nimrods ran in out of the crowd. Um, and then Ring of Honor just dropped the whole angle and never talked about it again. Uh, so if you're interested in that, you could go back on wherever you listen to podcasts and find last week's episode. But we move into the home stretch of the show. Zack Sabre Jr. and Hiroshi Tanahashi in a one-on-one -on -one match for the Revolution Pro British Heavyweight championship and this is a Zack Sabre Jr. match mm -hmm. Zack Sabre Jr. is a guy who has a very particular style uh, he is a guy that works a lot of submissions he is a uh, noodly limbed uh, little devil spawn who <laughs> if you are a mark like me and you have guys that you want to win uh, you never want to see them face uh, Zack Sabre Jr. because your guy's never going to get to do any of his cool moves, and he's going to be in an octopus hold for 15 minutes. Boo. <laughs> and that's kind of what this match is like. Hiroshi Tanahashi is the just the beautiful uh, centaur-like god of New Japan Pro Wrestling. <laughs> just the like the the just the most gorgeous man who ever lived. And you know a lot of a lot of matches. Uh, that Zack Sabre Jr. has is a lot of Zack wearing him down and doing a lot of submission holds. Uh, uh, Tanahashi in, in Madison Square Garden, it's a lot more even. He gets a lot more stuff in than a lot of the other Zack Sabre Jr. Tanahashi matches, of which there were several really good ones over the previous year. Um, a lot of working on Tanahashi's left arm, some pretty cool reversals and some pretty cool pinning combinations, especially in the second half of this match. Um, Tanahashi and Zack Sabre Jr. trading the European clutch pitting combination, which is really cool when they do the O'Connor roll and then go back with the bridge, reversing it into a bunch of different things. Uh, Tanahashi, towards the end, hits one of his big moves, the sling blade, gets a two count, and then ZSJ locks in one of his big submissions, the uh, long way from home kind of a double arm bar, which is a really gnarly looking move. The crowd really kind of pops when they see the visual of him like 
looking like he was ripping both of Tanahashi's arms out of their shoulders. And then he traps one of Tanahashi's legs as well. And 15 minutes and 14 seconds, Tanahashi submits. And Zack Sabre Jr. retains the British Heavyweight Championship. Jake, you can uh, uh, grind your axe here first because you had a lot I will, of I will, I will, I will preface this by, by, by saying this. Zack Sabre Jr. is a point of contention between me and Jake. I, for one, am a big fan. He has a very unique style. It's not as much, you know, running around and doing a bunch of moves. He's got a bunch of cool submissions, and they, you know, he works through them. Jake does not enjoy Zack Sabre Jr. So, of all the Zack Sabre Jr. matches I've seen, I enjoyed this one. But that list is very short. He uh, was it was it 2019 or 2018 when he ran through the New Japan Cup? That was 2018. Yeah, so 2018. Everybody. Yeah, he submitted like like a, a, like three former IWGP champions in a row or something crazy like that, and everybody was you know like oh man he's gonna get to face Okada he's got a chance, and I remember watching his matches like I don't care about this guy, and I don't know maybe I'm. Maybe I'm the type of guy who just marks out for flippy shit matches, like Ange already mentioned. But ZSJ, his style just does not mess with what I like because I just don't like submission finishers that well. And I don't think that... I've always talked about how my favorite matches are ones where I can't tell who's going to win, and then it's a, uh, I, I'm convinced to believe it's one of the other ones. Well, I don't think ZSJ gives great false finishes. You know, so I just, I struggle sometimes. Uh, however, I'll grant him one thing. The just tap out, you know, catchphrase is super good. And who, who's the guy that intros him? Taka Mishinoku from, uh, is from it Kai really? Tai. Yeah, that's Taka Mishinoku. I did not realize. Oh, the famous Michinoku driver, right? Yeah, yes. driver. yeah, I did not realize that was him. He looks different. I don't know. Well, you know, he's older than he was when he was in WWF. 23 years ago so that might be part of it uh i mean i guess anyway uh yeah i don't know i just never liked him i never liked zsj matches um but i'll let uh i'll let angelo talk and then i'm sure angelo and i are gonna have to listen while david writes his love letter to hiroshi tanahashi so i mean David thought I would be a complete mark for hiroshi tanahashi before i did not i did not because but i will say this you're, you're, you know, you have your, oh, my, my oozing charisma guy every week. I do. The real oozing charisma guy is Hiroshi Tanahashi. <laughs> but I feel like the effect is a little bit lost in America. You need to see him in Japan, where he is the single greatest babyface of all time. And in a match with ZSJ, they will literally just have him sell the whole time mm -hmm. until, like, the entire crowd is weeping. Like, literal tears. <laughs> and then he will do a comeback, and they, they will exult like they have seen the moon landing. I do kind of feel like, like it's, it... it's a different experience watching Japan Tanahashi matches because he is like the most beloved man in the world. He's like their Jesus Christ. <laughs> I do believe. I don't doubt that for a second. I do think that there's something lost when he uh, coming over here and doing this match in the United States. But I don't know. I wasn't really feeling Tanahashi. Um, I do like the fact that uh, they play up the zero defense champ angle, which is something interesting and something that I've never really heard WWE do with their titles. Uh, they don't talk about, oh yeah, he won the title and then immediately lost it. Now you see guys like Christian who win the title 
five days previously and then lose it on the na- that next SmackDown. But you don't hear a lot about it. It's more so, oh my god, they had such a short reign. It's not, oh, they failed to defend it. It's a short reign. Um, ZSJ, he's a guy that's just so scrawny, but it kind of works for him in terms of just like who he is as a wrestler, being that submission specialist, the book of infinity holds. Uh, I like the amateur wrestling open. I thought that was kind of really unique and, you know, it was entertaining for the short little opener. I liked, I really said, I will say, I really did like the hanging arm bars that ZSJ did, especially the one where, uh, Tanahashi couldn't skin the cat, and so he just immediately goes for the arm, and you have Tanahashi hanging from the rope with, while ZSJ is, like, clinging to his limb. That was a really cool scene. Uh, I also, I will say, one of my favorite submission moves of all time is the Cloverleaf, and I'm glad we got to see one here, because it's just such a really cool move. I enjoy seeing it. It's a very unique variation on a leg lock, and, I don't know. How does David feel about the Texas Cloverleaf? Ooh, it hurts, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that Matt, that move shoot hurts to take. <laughs> it, 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 it torques you up your lower back, buddy. <laughs> Oof. And I will say, the long way from home as a finisher is a great finisher as a submission. However, I gotta say, if I'm being 100% honest, not really a big fan of Zack Sabre Jr. matches. I can recognize that I, he's great at what he does. Like I will recognize that the right, way he, right. the way he can move seamlessly from submission to submission is impressive, but that in itself doesn't make the match for me because the pacing just seems very slow with him. Yeah, I mean, Zach, like, Zack Sabre Jr. wrestles Zack Sabre Jr. matches. Like You know what you're kind of going to get when he steps into the ring. I enjoy what he does because I really like submission chain mat wrestling. I enjoy watching that. And I mean, a lot of the stuff that he does, like you talk about like the like the like the chain wrestling at the beginning of the match, Angelo. Like if you've ever watched like World of Sport Wrestling from Britain in like seventies, eighties, like a lot of that what he does is like just straight up just he, he takes it from that. Like <laughs> take like take stuff that like guys like Jim Brakes used to do like 40 years ago. And it's sort of like it, it's a very like kind of uniquely like British style of wrestling that he kind of embodies and you know he's like this you know I I think that his look and his physique is perfect for it because yeah he's like this kind of scrawny noodly limbed little nerd. Very plain looking too like he has no tats at all like no distinguishing yeah. markers. Gigantic butt chin. Uh, but I mean, he, it just sort of fits him, I think. And I, I do think over the last couple years, since he got to new Japan, especially, and has been facing way better guys, he's gotten a lot better at having different kinds of matches. Like a Zack Sabre Jr. Match is always going to be a Zack Sabre Jr. Match just because he has such a unique style, but they're all a little bit different now. And I feel like that that is the one thing about Sabre matches. Like, a lot of times they do kind of end up being, well, like, you know, he works a bunch of submissions for 15 minutes. Every, like, two minutes the baby face gets a couple moves in, and then he ends up going right back into an arm bar, and then eventually he taps him out. With him, I feel like he would really benefit from someone else that is, like, that kind of submission specialist. Um, the one match, like, we talk about guys that just go from uh, submission to submission, uh, Drew Gulak, Dr- Daniel Bryan, guys like that that have a lot of those holds and can do those smooth transitions, I feel like those would make a great Zack Sabre Jr. matches because you never feel like the pace is slowing down. You And ca- 
And to that, I would recommend his matches that he's had with Sonata. He had a few last year. Ooh, uh, there was one with him. there. Yeah, there was one the first night of the G1 last year in Dallas. Because Sonata is another guy that can really work that style. And it was terrific. Absolutely just blew my brains out. I loved it. But with a guy like Tanahashi, who kind of seems like he's a more of a showman, kind of like a Hulk wrestler. Not so much the technical... Like, he's got the cloverleaf, but it's not a lot of technical. It's a lot of showman moves. And, I don't know, it just, it, those styles don't clash well. It's not like a big versus little match. When you have that showman style, which is another slow style, versus a submission guy, another slow style, those two don't mesh together. Because the submission guy, it's all about the transitions, and the showman's about that one move. It's about building up that one move, and it just doesn't really work when they put them together. It's like oil and water. Yeah, and that that is the one thing about Tanahashi in America, as I said, like it 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 loses a little bit in translation because like the Japanese guys that get super over in America are the ones like the guys like Abushi who can do crazy moves and have these like kind of jaw dropping matches, or guys like Ishii who are crazy and have these fight like these matches where they beat the hell out of guys and get dropped in their head a hundred times, like kind of action packed guys. Where Tanahashi isn't necessarily like he's not a moves guy, he is sort of like the guy who he gets compared to a lot is John Cena. It's like the Cena of Japan. Except, you know, nobody's chanting Tanahashi sucks. Everyone is chanting for Tanahashi because everyone <laughs> loves him. He just has a very, very uniquely strong connection to that crowd. And so he is like the ultimate baby face. But he comes over here and the guys that, you know, an American audience might gravitate to, not necessarily him, even though he is super charismatic, it's somebody like an Ibushi. Or somebody like an Okada who is like the complete package of what you think a professional wrestler should be. You know what I mean? Speaking of this, did you guys notice that Tanahashi is built exactly like Chris Jericho? Just with an yes. absolute barrel of a chest mm -hmm. and like not quite as defined through the middle as like you'll see like a Randy Orton or whoever. I think they are built almost exactly the same. And it makes me happy that they're both older guys still wrestling like a, a, a good style, like Jericho still does the lion salt, Tanahashi still has the high fly flow, which is a great name. Um, but I've I noticed that it, like as he walked in, I was like, man, he looks he looks just as like dad bod fit as Chris Jericho. Dad bod Tana thick. And Tanahashi and Jericho had a terrific match at Wrestle Kingdom last year, I think last Wrestle Kingdom, twenty nineteen Wrestle Kingdom. He fought, it was Jericho Omega. Oh yeah, it was it was yeah, they did Jericho. Oh no, maybe I'm thinking of no. It was Jericho no. Kaito. Yeah. Well, he had like he had a big match with Kenny at Wrestle Kingdom. He had a big match with Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom, and then he had a match with Naito somewhere in there. Oh, okay. Was Dominion, I, I think. Gotcha. Yeah. But yeah, so that was uh, you know a lot of uh, so Chris Jericho. Er, nope, uh, <laughs> I got sidetracked. <laughs> thinking about Chris Jericho. I love Chris Jericho. I wish he was. Like on I think we all wish Chris Jericho could have been on the show. A little bit of the public. Hiroshi Tanahashi and Zack Sabre Jr. in a match that I really liked. Didn't seem like you guys were as high on it. Oh, but... I didn't I didn't hate it. Like I had a good time watching it. It was just like it's it's a ZSJ match, kind of plotting, you know, until he finally gets like his like one of the finishing holds on, you know. It's yeah. like different types of music. Some people can enjoy Zack Sabre matches. Some people can enjoy John Moxley matches. This was just one of those matches that I didn't particularly yeah. enjoy. Sure. We go on to one of the big matches of the night and one of the best matches of the show. 
Kota Ibushi challenging for the IWGP Intercontinental Championship against the champion Tetsuya Naito. Kota Ibushi comes out, gets a huge pop. Tetsuya Naito, you know it's a big Naito match. When he shows up wearing a white suit and a cape, <laughs> he takes a half hour to get to the ring. <laughs> I am in the upper deck wearing my Naito t-shirt. I am screaming like a 13-year-old girl at a One Direction concert. <laughs> and let me tell you, man, this match kicked ass. Um, I was afraid a little bit coming into this match because they had had several matches with, uh, it, it, with over the previous year or so where they took a lot of spooky-looking bumps, and I was afraid that somebody was going to just commit next suicide Oof. in front of my eyes in Madison Square Garden. But it ends up being a great match. Nobody takes any bumps that are particularly horrifying, and it was, you know, a very significant match to me personally as a human being and in, in, in my life in general. Um Crowd is super into it. You get holy shit chance before the match even starts. Two of the best and most over guys in New Japan for wrestling. And again, most of the crowd, me and Jake included, are there primarily to see the New Japan guys. Yes. We don't really care about any of the Ring of Honor guys except a couple of them. Or any of the Ring of Honor matches or angles at all. We don't care about them. We want to see the New Japan guys. And these are two of the best. Um... So Naito and Ibushi go at it. This is an action-packed 20-minute match that after the first few minutes, it gets really fast and just kind of keeps going. Um, and Naito is a guy that has had some issues with his knees over the past few years. And watching him just last April as opposed to now, you can see you know, it, it's, it is a little jarring how much faster he moves, even just whatever it was, 13 months ago, 14 months ago, as opposed to now. Um, Ibushi does a bunch of cool spots. He does a, a Pele kick on the middle rope to Naito, and then he does a big Frankensteiner off the apron to the floor. Just such a freakish athlete. Into a springboard double stomp for a two count. Naito hits a super Hurricane Rana off the top rope into his... Uh, one of his signature moves, Gloria, which is a like a hammerlock brain buster for a two count. Uh, Ibushi hits a deadlift German suplex off the second rope. He hits a, a bridging straight jackets German suplex for a two count. The fans are going crazy about midway through, including myself. Again, I am screaming. My absolute mind is exploding in the upper deck of Madison Square Garden. Um, both guys are getting cheers for everything that they do. Naito hits the Poison Rana and then into a running Destino, not the full Destino, his finisher, for a two count. I know Jake is probably going to want to talk about, uh, you know, the half finishers and the full finishers and the way they do that <laughs> in New Japan. I know he wants to talk about that. So I won't go too far into that. But uh, Ibushi kicks out, huge pop for the kick out. He goes for the full Destino, but Ibushi catches him with a head kick. He does two of the Shinsuke Nakamura running knees, one to the back of the head, one to the front of the head, hits a last ride powerbomb, and then finally hits the Kamigoye for the pin and the win, and Kota Ibushi becomes the IWGP Intercontinental Championship in, uh, or Intercontinental Champion in 20 minutes and 53 seconds. So since they've already mentioned it, I'll talk about it really quick. I, I think that one of the biggest reasons that guys like Meltzer 
uh, I can't remember the guy that writes for the Torch. Can you remember his name, David? Wade Keller, I'm pretty Wade sure. Keller. And then uh, there's one more, like Pro Wrestling Sheet or something like that. Um, I think that's if I'm not. I think that's Ryan Satin. I think that's the guy. Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Guys like that. I think one of the big reasons they mention New Japan matches as the best matches around are because they have these built-in full and half finishes. All right, you might see a guy in a tag match on a regular, you know, on like a big card, finish a match with a half finisher. And what I mean by that is Naito has the running Destino, which on its own looks pretty cool, but it doesn't finish matches. It's not what it does. He has to get the full flipping Destino to finish a match. Um, Okada will get to his and how he finishes matches with the uh, moving Rainmaker and the I think the, the guys on commentary called it like the full turn Rainmaker. I think that that just adds so much drama to matches because it gets a finish in, but it's not the finish. One of the other things I noticed with New Japan matches versus like, we'll take for example WWE since that's primarily what this podcast is about, is the way New Japan can incorporate those breaks into their matches as opposed to WWE. For WWE, there isn't a lot of slowing down. There's not a lot of those drawn-out breaks where both men are just exhausted on the ground oh, yeah. and recovering. There's some of it, but it's not a lot. A lot of the time for WWE, they're looking for long, longer periods of consistent action, even if it isn't high intensity. Whereas with New Japan, you get those kind of lulls, but you have those moments of very high intense, very like back-and-forth areas. A lot of good chain wrestling, um, big moves here and there. But after a big move, you usually get that little bit of a break. It's about 30 seconds where they're both guys are just out on the ground. But for whatever reason, it doesn't come off as boring or uninteresting. It just kind of adds to the tension. Whereas with WWE, when you have these rest holds, you're just kind of like, eh, I see these already. Eh, it's boring. This isn't going to do anything. And I think that kind of plays into it because at least with uh, when they're both out on the ground, you could have the ref start the 10 count and end the match right there. Whereas with these rest holds in WWE, you know for a fact the guy's not going to tap out to that bow and arrow knee in the back. No one has tapped out to that since I have no idea when. David, you might be able to tell that. But it's got to be before 2000. Uh, so it just is like, okay, cool. This is just a transition. Who cares? Both New Japan matches, like, wow, those guys really went at it for a second, and I thought the match was over. And that, Jake, that kind of goes back to your point with the half finishers and the full finishers. It's just that even though it's a half finisher, you could expect it to win the match uh, on a regular New Japan show. Now, on a pay-per-view, maybe not, but like during a regular New Japan show, it's like, oh, yeah, he hits the half finisher, he can win. But with a match like this, it just keeps building up. Uh, yeah. I, I, I saw the fact that I have so many notes before I even get into the match just shows you the what I think of these two guys. Ibushi on his own, the guy is just incredibly gifted in the ring. And I was thinking about this while watching it the second time. I would love and I would kill to see an Ibushi Cesaro match. Oh my god! I dude. think I think my brain would Ooh. actually explode Mwah. because Chef's kiss baby because both those guys are just incredibly talented in the ring and they have like their specialties for Cesaro. It's just all those raw power moves and how deceptively quick he is with Ibushi. It's just that he is a, a pretty big dude, a, a standard heavyweight, but man, can he do some aerial shit? Like he is he, just insane. He's that- like. He's Go just on. such a freakishly sudden athlete. Yeah, like, like he will go, he will go for, he will go from a complete stop to just doing something insane. Yeah, Bushi. Yeah. Oh my god. 
And like I fell in love with Ibushi. I was going to mention this. His match with Cedric Alexander in the Cruiserweight Classic. David told me to watch this. Mm. And you want to talk about two guys just forearming each other in the face <laughs> and then like, hitting moon, standing moonsault. It was so cool. Like Ibushi, that, uh, the Hurricane Rana he hits from the apron. Oh, just how God. sudden he explodes up and hits that uh, pretty much like a backflip whipping Naito over the top of him is just ridiculous. It breaks like it. People should not be able to do that. No human being should be allowed to move that quick, that suddenly with that much control. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's if the thing that was shocking to me is like they both they introduce both guys before the match and they talk about how they're the same age. They're both thirty six with this pay per view. It's and that surprised me because Ibushi is someone that I always pictured a little bit younger, like still kind of in, maybe in his late twenties, whereas Naito uh, Naito is you know in the mid thirties, maybe late thirties, a guy that's definitely in his prime of his career. Whereas Ibushi still has a lot to go. Um, I love the fact, especially with New Japan, they're alluding to Tetsuya two belts. Talking about how he wants to use the IWGP champion, uh, Intercontinental Championship to get the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, which, you know, kudos to consistent storytelling. Called long-term booking, baby. Yes. Nobody <laughs> does long-term booking better than New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I remember the first time I remember uh, was watching a NATO match, and it was for the G1. And he's just this... Naito. Naito. I, I, I mispronounce everything. You know this. Naito. <laughs> Um, but Naito, Naito's walking down to the ring and he's got his entire suit on and he's getting in the ring he's taking his time and then he's just you know drawing out even more the fact that he's removing his outer garb to get down to his wrestling gear and it's just like man just hurry up and get in the ring already start wrestling but the more and more you watch it and then you see him start going in the ring and you realize just how great he is and it's like, all right, yeah, he, he's he could he deserves that. He could do that whenever the hell he wants. He could take three years to take off his clothes, just as long as I get to see a uh, a NATO match. Um, the New Japan Zoom in too. I love the New Japan Zoom in for matches. It's just like oh, it gives you that big fight feel, like you're getting ready for it. It's so exciting. Um, and then just the matches, just like it's a complete and utter clinic on how to put on a great match at Madison Square Garden. I think this was the best match uh, on the night. Uh, pretty handily, and so I mean, both these guys just—this <laughs> was such a good damn match. Oda, Oda is is unequivocally one of my favorite wrestlers working in the world today. And David, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of steal what he's told me about Coda. Coda comes from a family that's pretty well off, so he's never had to wrestle to like make money. That's never had to be one of his main concerns. So he's been able to just do whatever he wants in the wrestling world. So like he could come over for the Cruiserweight Classic, but he didn't win it because he didn't sign a uh, deal with WWE. But he can just go do whatever and just absolutely crush his neck every match. And it's fine. He just shakes it off and keeps doing his, his own thing. Yeah, that's why he never signed like a full-time deal with New Japan for years and years and years, even though he was one of the best guys there and one of the most popular guys because he was like, well, I I don't really need to sign an exclusive deal for all this money. And I kind of want to, you know, do a hardcore match at a campsite and do like, (laughs) you know, moonsaults off cars and just generally kind of dick around and do whatever I want. Yeah. We're totally going to get an uh, Ibushi Cody match at some point on AEW. Dude, I I want Cody Ibushi to to wrestle everybody on AEW. Give me, a one-on match, a one-on-one match with absolutely everyone. That would be it. Would be great. 
the and la- then of course you're gonna have to have the the final Ibushi versus Kenny Omega, the Golden Lovers implode, oh. show, which is a which is a pay per view main event. That's like that's like a, I mean I don't know what they're what AEW is using as their WrestleMania. Is it all out, all in? It's either all out or double or nothing. I'm not sure which. Well, whichever one it is, I mean, it's like that quality because it is. Whew, the Kamigoye. Can we just talk about how beautiful of a move that is? So simple, gorgeous. but so glorious. Oh, it's so simple. It's so simple. He just knees him in the face. He just dipped his knee through the back of their skull. And it's great. I will it's say. Fantastic. I, I, I have a couple things. Um, the pop for that Destino that everyone thinks the match is over. That is a great pop because everyone's like ready to count down one, two, three, and then Ibushi kicks out. Just when you have the crowd doing that, that's how you know you have a great match on your hands. I also think. I, Go ahead. I, I I I think I feel like I didn't pop for that one because I feel like I remember turning to Jake and being like, "That's the running Destino. That's not the full Destino." He's not gonna win. <laughs> that's the truth. I also feel like that you have like if they just uh, Ibushi decides to go down this like character route. So he's like the gold star of New Japan. I feel like you could do a lot of cool things with Ibushi as the dark star of New Japan. Has Kota ever really had a heel run? Not. I mean, I. I remember. I don't think so. Not really. Because I mean, like, like Kenny was the, who wants to boo him? Nobody. <laughs> but like, like ha- but have him do, join like Suzuki Goon uh, and just uh, be an absolute heel. I feel like that could be fun. I have. I have just just one more question, and it's kind of I don't want to say it's off topic, but it, it's just something I forgot about. How do double stomps not kill the person taking them? Because <laughs> there were there was a double stomp in this match, and I think Koda hit it to Naito. And every time I see that move, like your chest should implode. Okay, that should just be not kayfabe. You should shoot die from that move, and people don't. I just don't get it. I will say with Finns, like with the coup de gras when he does his double stomp, he's not extending his legs fully. It's kind of like they're tucked a little bit so he can kind yeah. of roll off the back. But there are some double stomps, like the ones in the corner, where you're just literally double stomping through their chest when they're hanging the tweet- tree of woe. Yeah. I'm just like, how mm-hmm. is that not like a broken neck? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe the first time David takes one, I'm going to have him tell us about it. I'll let you know, man. <laughs> Nobody around here uses one of those. But can I come do one to you? What? Can I come do one to you? I mean, sure. I'll I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll ask my trainer and see if he knows how to uh, take it, one safe. We'll put that on the Patreon. We'll David, he died as he lived. We're going to set up a Patreon. We're going to set up an OnlyFans, and we're going to just it'll just be me taking moves. <laughs> so, <laughs> From me and Ann, exclusive. Yeah. Botch City, USA. <laughs> but I mean, just this match. I wanted to talk about this match because this is an important match to me personally. Ooh, because yeah, this was the match that made me decide that I wanted to be a professional wrestler. Like, and, and watching it back on TV, on YouTube, whatever, it's a great match. And I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, like, why? This is a great match. I've seen better Naito matches. I've seen better Ibushi matches in my life. But. Seeing a match of that caliber on that night in that venue in front of that crowd was a truly just magnetic experience for me. And I was absolutely on the edge of my seat, glued to every single movement both of those guys made. 
And after it was over, that was the match that made me decide, like, I, I want to be a pro wrestler. And I remember talking to you and Nikki P about it at the bar afterwards. Like, yo, I got to do this. I want to do this. I want to be a I want to be a pro wrestler now because I saw it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then I decided to do that. So and now here and now here we are in twenty twenty. And, and you have, have you been able to wrestle at all recently? No, it's a pandemic going on, dude. <laughs> well, I mean, everybody else it sucks. Is, every other company's still doing it, so I just figured I'd ask. You live in a bubble? Come on, you can do it. <laughs> it sucks, dude. But yeah, it, this was a this was a match that was important to me personally and the development of my life and pursuing my dreams. And I want to. I, I just I love Kota Ibushi. He's perfect. Oh, he He's is a perfect a, man, perfect boy. And just. Angelo, you mentioned it. Even today, Ibushi is 38 years old. And, like, I, I look at him and I think he's, like, 28, maybe. He does not age. And I feel like he will just be this version of Ibushi until the heat death of the universe. And I hope he is. Because I, don't, I, I just I don't understand how, how he is what he is. The day Ibushi is not Ibushi is the day the Earth stops spinning. Moving on. This was a match that we loved and the crowd was just so into and just going crazy for. And that we all cared about. It was exactly what each and every one of us wanted out of this show. When we went to the G1 Supercard and we filed into Madison Square Garden, we wanted to see something exactly like Ibushi versus Naito and the crowd was into it. How here is the exact opposite. <laughs> here is a half-hour ladder match between... <laughs> One guy who's over and two guys who are not over. And for the Ring of Honor World Championship, Jay Lethal defending the title against Marty Skrull and Matt Taven. Jay Lethal, who has become the foundation stone that Ring of Honor is built upon. He's the franchise of the promotion. Taking on Matt Taven, who is, you know, a solid, like, upper mid-card heel who's never been the champion before. He leads his own little, little group of guys. And Marty Skrull, Marty Skrull, who is a cool guy who uh, wears a plague mask to the ring and carries an umbrella, and it sounds stupid, but it actually works, and it's <laughs> cool. Um, so one of the things about this match is you would figure a big ladder match for a world title in a big crowd, like in a big venue in front of a big crowd, like it would get over. But by this point, we've all been sitting there for like four hours. Almost everybody there is just ready for the Okada match. And then after that, ready to leave so we can all go get drunk or go to sleep. They don't care about this match really at all. And I can say as a fan who was there, it felt like this match stretched on for six years. And watching it back on replay, it's actually... Fine, solid match. It's, it's actually pretty good. But the experience of watching it as a fan, it just it felt like it dragged super, super hard. A lot of ladder spots in this match. A lot of cool spots, but it's not like, you know, flying action everywhere here and there. And none of these three guys are really that kind of wrestler anyway. But yeah, a ton of ladder spots in this match. Uh, a lot of spots on the apron. At one point, uh, Matt Taven power bombs Jay Lethal onto the ladder that's set up on the outside. 
Um, Marty Squirrel puts Jay Lethal in the ch- cross-faced chicken wing on the ladder, and the fans go crazy for that. Matt Taven climbs up to try and steal the belt, but Marty does the finger-breaking spot to both of Matt Taven's hands. The crowd loves that. Um, and then he falls off. Jay hits him with a chair. Taven sells like he can't grab the belt. Uh, the fans were you know, kind of up and down throughout this match. They did give Taven some good heat. Like after Taven had his quote-unquote fingers broken by Marty Squirrel, he gets a big you deserve it chance. There's a lot of anti-Matt Taven chance. The one part of this match that I remember and that everyone remembers is sort of late on in this match. Marty makes an X with two ladders. He crosses like two ladders in, in one another. And he suplexes Matt Taven onto the X. Jay Lethal runs in. He hits his finisher, the Lethal Injection, to Marty. He then grabs the ladder X and just throws it out of the ring. And it flies into the front row and just <laughs> destroys a guy's face. I would say destroys. Because in the replay, it didn't look as bad. It as looked it did like he was, he was ready for it. He saw the ladder coming. He kind of saw the writing on the wall. It's not a good thing to ever see in a professional wrestling match to see a fan has to take a bump from, especially a ladder. But yeah. it didn't look, as far as bumps go, it looked relatively tame. Live, it looked like he got clobbered by yes. a ladder. There was a big, that's a lawsuit chant. <laughs> very good chant. Uh, yeah, that was that was a good one. Um, and then, you know, the, the last five or so minutes of this match, there's some cool spots. Taven spears Marty Squirrel off the ring apron through a table to the outside. Jay Lethal does the macho man diving elbow off a ladder onto Taven through a table. Marty and Jay get back into the ring. Taven, who is seemingly just fine, comes back in with a big purple ladder, purple the color of his faction, the kingdom. He takes out both guys. Him and Jay Lethal climb to the top of this purple ladder he grabs the belt and uses it, swings it to hit Jay in the face, off the ladder, onto another ladder, and Matt Taven wins the belt. 29 minutes and 35 seconds. Got a little bit of a surprise pop, a surprise reaction, because he was the guy in this match that nobody considered had a chance to win the match. I want to take... But uh, people... Did not care about Matt Taven. <laughs> and he was the guy they chose to put over in Madison Square Garden. And I have a lot of thoughts on this, but Angelo, you want to go? Sure. Uh, just because um, we get to my oozing charisma guy, which is, and, I, and David, you called this months ago. Yes. Uh, like, I want to yes, say I early did. in January, actually. I did. I, 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 I messaged our, like, group DM, and I was like, I have a guy that Angelo, the first second he sees him, is going to be the biggest mark in the world for. It's Marty Skrull. It is Marty Skrull. And it happened, baby. It's so great. From like his entrance, like the, the entrance theme, the the video that plays during his entrance theme, The I am a sucker for those Plague Doctor masks because they are so creepy but so cool at the same time. <laughs> and then he's got the stupid umbrella in the top hat, but somehow it works for him. And just... He's got the look. He's got the charisma. The way he gets the crowd involved, like he's got a spot uh, early on where he's starting to pump up the crowd and get the crowd really excited, and then all of a sudden Taven just shuts it all down, and Taven gets all these all that heat from ruining Marty Skrull's moment. And 
it, it just it works for me. I, I I the wrestler himself, the character is very interesting to me, and I like I liked it throughout this match. It was probably the biggest highlight for this match for me is uh, the character of Marty Skrull. His entrance, Taven's entrance, is also pretty good. Uh, getting that piano piano playing and him coming out with all that royalty gear. Matt Taven is just a Baron, a better Baron Corbin. And if we could combine both of those, whether it's Corbin in the ring and Taven himself as a character, maybe, I think that's actually a good wrestler in terms of doing that King gimmick. And I see David's giving me a look like I'm kind of losing it. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting combination. It's an interesting comparison that I've never thought of before. Just because the crowd, the, when he had the, when he walked out with the crowd, I'm just like, this is Baron Corbin. Uh, <laughs> this is King Booker. <laughs> and, and then he does a stupid "I Matt Taven," buddy. If we, do, if you, have to it's t- it's it's not a great catchphrase. It's just <laughs> "I'm Matt Taven." If you have to tell, <laughs> yes, everyone- we know that you're Matt Taven. <laughs> if you, I mean, to- none of us like you. If you have to tell the crowd who you are, guess what? You're not doing your job as a wrestler. Um. I will say, figure four on the ladder was really cool by Jay Lethal. Jay Lethal does a ton of spots in this match. Like, he takes the bump onto the ladder that's uh, set up on the chairs. He takes the final bump where he gets smashed in the head with the belt and falls onto the ladders. He does that giant elbow onto Taven through the... Uh, yeah, the giant jump elbow through the table onto Taven. And, like, he's just doing bumps left and right. And so I appreciate him being that kind of champion as a guy that's going to at least put on a show for the people that are there. I can appreciate that about his style, but this match seemed to be lacking a lot of components. And I think the biggest drawback for me in terms of uh, in this match was the fact that it didn't have enough guys. With these ladder matches, they typically see put on by WWE, who I will say does great ladder matches. Even the triple threat for the tag team match, uh, tag team titles this past WrestleMania, was a pretty good match. Um, but they pace it well, and this match just isn't paced well. I think having three other guys or having some interference from the Kingdom and then Villain Enterprises piece, getting more PCO is never going to be a bad thing, I think, in Jake's opinion. Uh, but having those guys out there to cause some shenanigans, I think, could add up to this match because it brings up the pace a little bit. Because with three guys, there's a lot of downtime and poor transitions into different spots and setting up the ladders that is pretty apparent when you watch this. Not not just live, but like twice, because it does kind of drag on. Uh, overall, again, it's kind of like Taven. They're trying to legitimize Taven, and it doesn't really work out. I think in the end for Ring of Honor, because they end up putting the title on Roosh, who is way better than him. And so, yeah, the moral of the story is that David had called me being a Marty Scroll Mark before I even know who who Marty Scroll was. <laughs> I think it's interesting the point that you raise about this match not having enough guys. Because it does seem like this match really drags. And a lot of times I feel like, you know, there's probably a limit on number of guys. But I I feel like the more guys in a ladder match, oftentimes the merrier. You know what I mean? Six is like the perfect number. And it's interesting because I I, kind of want to know what the original plan for this was. Because this card was originally announced and planned before AEW kind of came to be. And they originally planned to have the elite and have those guys wrestle on the show. The original main event was going to be an Okada Kenny Omega IWGP Heavyweight Championship match. And so if you, if you kind of think about it, you have a three man ladder match, but if the, if, if, if those AEW guys are still wrestling for Ring of Honor, you almost definitely have Cody in this match. 
you probably have the Young Bucks in some kind of tag team title match. So that probably frees up PCO to be in this match. Who won the title a- after Roosh. Yeah. And then you probably also have maybe Hangman Page or maybe Roosh in this match. And then you just don't do Roosh versus Dalton Castle and you turn Dalton Castle at some other point. But that sounds to me like a way cooler and way more star-studded match that is way more exciting and that the fans are much more into. But again, we don't know if you know all-in never happens and they don't decide to do AEW. We don't know if they are even doing a ladder match in the first place. But I feel like there's a lot more names in there that could have made this a lot spicier and a lot cooler. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't really say anything that you guys haven't. Everyone was super worn out by that Kota Ibushi Tetsuya Naito match. Nobody really cared, and you can hear it. Um, I say that it can be hard for three or less guys to make a great ladder match, but when it does work, it works. Capital capital letters works. Shawn when, Michaels, Razor Ramon at WrestleMania. Right, and that's kind of the one that everybody points to as like that seminal like two man ladder match. Because when you got two guys fighting, I, I think it can really work. But when you've got three, I don't know, it sometimes seems a little, you know, I know it's wrestling, but convoluted, I guess is the word I would use. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of always love to see spots through it from a, a ladder, through a table and stuff. That stuff's always really cool. Um, but, you know, seeing the ladder hit somebody from a crowd, uh, if you were the guy that got hit, please reach out to us and let us know what kind of compensation you receive because you definitely went to the back, like right after you got hit. And I want to know, like, did you get like signatures and stuff? Cause that's super cool. If you did, I'm just curious. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I do keep up with ring of honor, even though I don't watch it. Um, cause I, I don't pay for their subscription service or anything, but I, I just keep up with it to know who's on top and, and who's doing well. Um, so whenever this match came up, you know, I knew who Skrull was from uh, appearances on Being the Elite and other places like that. But, you know, I, I, I knew Jay Lethal was the guy that was doing the um, the Randy Savage gimmick. What did he call it? Uh, oh, um, Black Machismo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he called it the Black Machismo. Wait, well, that was, wait, that was Randy, Jay Lethal? That was Jay Lethal. That was Jay Lethal. The best Randy Savage impression I have ever seen in my life. Well, and, and 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 I knew that going in, and like I knew Matt Taven was a guy that like he was going to be the guy to get knocked off the ladder while one of the other two won. You know, he would have been the guy to eat the pin in a regular triple threat match, and then he he won, which you know it's kind of a shock finish if you cared about it. But I can attest that everybody in the crowd was done with this. I was did not care about this match, and. uh I actually left right after this match. I didn't even stay for the White Okada match because at this point I had been there for four and a half hours and my butt was so tired I needed to move. <laughs> yeah, and I, I completely understand that. But, you know, it, it, it's another thing. Like, Taven, people did not care when Taven won. There was like a little surprise pop and then utter silence as he celebrated winning the belt. And... The one thing about this match is while it was slow and the crowd wasn't really into it, if Marty had won, Marty was over enough that he would have gotten a big reaction 
and it would have redeemed the match somewhat. You know what I mean? Because on its own, it's really not a bad match. Right. And if Marty had won, the fans would have been really happy. But Taven winning, it was like such a deflating buzzkill to everybody. Because everybody wanted Marty. And it really is like one of the weirdest booking decisions that Ring of Honor has made. And it led to like last year being outside of this show, which sold out Madison Square Garden, being like the worst business year for Ring of Honor, like maybe ever or like in a long time because they were putting Taven on top and booking Taven as the champion and nobody wanted to see him. And it's really weird. It's like a weird sort of like departure from what Ring of Honor has always been because Ring of Honor has always been a place that built stars and then had them leave. And then they build the next generation of stars when they had, you know, CM Punk and AJ Styles and Brian Danielson and Samoa Joe, and they all left. They got replaced by, you know, Kevin Steen and El Generico. Kyle O'Reilly. Yeah, and like, you know, those guys. And then they leave, and then they get replaced by Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly and, you know, the Young Bucks, and then you have Cody and, the, you know, the New Japan guys. And people leave. But New Japan has always done a really – or uh, Ring of Honor has always done a great job of building new stars. And it was like last year – they got sick of that and they decided instead of pushing the guys who are really talented and that would you know, that would get the fans behind them that people want to see like Marty Skrull or Bandito or guys like that we're afraid of them leaving if we push them too hard so instead we're going to reward the guys who have been there for a really long time like Matt Taven or like Shane Taylor who got like a big like kind of main event run at the same time or like Silas Young. And that's fine, but the reason why those guys had stayed at Ring of Honor for a long time is that WWE doesn't want to sign Shane Taylor <laughs> or Matt Taven because they're not that good and nobody really cares about them. And I think I think Taven's fine for what he is. I think he's good. I don't want to like like crap on him because I think he's good for what he is. I think he's a good like mid-card, upper mid-card heel. He's a good talker. He's a solid worker. But nobody on earth is paying money to watch a Matt Taven main event. It was just like they they got tired of, oh, we have to continually build new stars. Let's just kind of do this instead and settle with the guys that are going to be here for a long time. But they don't have anybody who's going to be there for a long time because that of people want to see. You know? I, I feel like you just... I, f- I feel like you just kind of closed that out pretty well, David. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think I think nail on the head. Yep. It you know it it bothered me a lot at the time, and it it still bothers me now because Ring of Honor was awesome. Like two years ago, <laughs> three years ago, if you were a wrestling fan, you had had to watch Ring of Honor and had to follow Ring of Honor because that's where the best wrestling in the USA was. And now, like the existence of AEW has rendered it completely meaningless and almost entirely superfluous so great word rest rest in peace to ring of honor which still exists but it's not doing great so after that uh my my monologue about ring of honor's booking we move on to the main events the iwgp heavyweight championship is on the line as the switchblade jay white defends against the golden god the rainmaker kazuchika okada mr money main event 
And this is a great match. This is a kind of your classic, typical A1, big money, main event, New Japan match. It's a half hour long. It kind of builds up slowly and builds and builds and builds and builds. And then by the last five or ten minutes, big moves, crowds going crazy, and ends in you know, just a, a satisfying way. It is like kind of your like prototypical A1 New Japan main event. And nobody does these matches better than Kazuchika Okada, the uh, Japanese Ric Flair, as I like to call him. Um, I think that's a good call. He, he is absolutely fantastic. Jake, I mean, Jake, I know you 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 left before this match started because, yeah, our, our asses were, were hurting by that point. And we had made our friend Nick wait at us for the bar for way too long. So somebody had to go keep him company. Um, but there was no way I was going <laughs> to miss Okada. Like, listen, I have gotten drunk with Nick Perillo 100,000 times. I have never seen Okada live. And I'm not missing that for the world. <laughs> and he is absolutely great in this match. Jay White is fantastic as just this slimy little douchebag who is also <laughs> a really really good worker a lot of the, the first part of this match gato who is okada's former manager longtime uh junior heavyweight wrestler in new japan and current booker for new japan who turned heel and joined the dark side and became jay white's manager getting involved and, and running interference and allowing uh, switchblade to take over the match Okada getting back into it, looking to hit the tombstone pile driver, but Jay just continually running away and running away. Jay finally hits a bunch of moves. He hits a German suplex, a suplex into the corner, a rock bottom for a two count, then hits a Saito suplex to the floor, hits the Kiwi Crusher for another two count. Okada comes back, hits the tombstone, hits the big drop kick, takes out Ghetto, hits another big drop kick, goes for the Rainmaker, but then Jay... Uh, ducks and turns it into a dragon suplex. You get a bunch of reversals. Okada comes out, hits the big drop kick again to the back, and then hits the spinning rainmaker, which is his, or hits hits like a running rainmaker, um, which is you know like the half power version of the rainmaker, which is his big lariat finisher. Then this was like the shocking moment of the match. He hits the full rainmaker. The one that is always the finish, and Jay White kicks out. Huge shock from the crowd. Huge shock from yours truly, who is screaming in the upper deck still. <laughs> My voice is completely gone by this point. Jay ends up reversing the tombstone into his finisher, the Blade Runner, but he can't get the cover. Okada ends up taking the upper hand. Finally, Ghetto gets back into it. He distracts the referee into a low blow. You get huge fuck you ghetto chants from the crowd. Okada reverses out of the Blade Runner into a German suplex. We get a big bunch of series of reversals and backslides. Finally hits the drop kick, smashes him with a Rainmaker, hits another Rainmaker. Finally, he goes for the full Rainmaker, but Jay catches him. He teases his finisher. Okada then gets him up into the spinning tombstone. Finally hits another of the full big boy rainmakers. And in 32 minutes and 33 seconds, Kazuchika Okada becomes a five-time IWGP heavyweight champion and closes out, again, 
just a classic New Japan main event match. This this match made me realize how much I wasn't really a Switchblade fan. Um, however, this match was so good. And I, I know I, I've, we've already covered that I wasn't there for it. But watching it back on YouTube, I think it does it justice. Because you get that kick out of the full Rainmaker, which you never get, which was absolutely incredible. Um, the last five minutes are just, you know, our classic New Japan. One of the things that you always hear about New Japan is they don't, they don't sell. Oh, it's just they get hit by whatever and then they, well, these guys spent five minutes on their knees punching each other because they couldn't stand up. You want to talk about selling. That is selling. So people can say whatever they want about it, but I think WWE is, is the the company that has trouble with selling what uh, what moves they have. And I don't know um, what all you're going to talk about, but Okada is just a beautiful man, and he is a great wrestler. And I, I think this is probably some of your first exposure to, to that era of Okada, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, I got a little bit of Okada I think he was in the G1 for a little bit. Like, I saw some Okada matches, and the air about him is just next level. He is a guy that oh, is... Yeah, absolutely. He's got that kind of, like, Randy Orton air of just he's an absolute main eventer, and he should never really be someone you keep in the mid-card because he's he's too good for the mid-card, to be perfectly honest. He's a guy that you're either involving with a few to help someone else get over or is in for the main belt. Like, he's your main star. Um, have you have you ever watched Long Trunks Okada? No, I have not. Ooh. Ooh. There is Long Trunks Okada. I I feel is the highest power level. No, it is indisputable that Trunks Okada is Trunks like bleached golden hair. Okada is perhaps the highest power level of any wrestler in the history of wrestling. But tr- like summer of 2018, Long Trunks Okada, when it was kind of implied that in kayfabe he was just hot, like on coke the whole time. <laughs> A very like like dyed red hair, very very blessed version of Okada. I do want to go back though and talk about Jay White because Jay White has a super punchable face. <laughs> oh, he is so punchable! Super and punchable. He, he keeps moving he his is, hair out of his face. He is like one of the greatest, just sm- like smarmy, just <laughs> sleaze bag heels in the world. Which and he's like he's like twenty five years old in this match. 24. 26. I mean, he's twenty six. I think they said. Yeah, but like the guy is so never, good for how young he is. But yeah, no, I, I don't deny that he's a great wrestler in terms of like this match because this match is a great match. But like I have, there's some problems I have with Jay White, and it mostly comes back to the character of Jay White. Um, I love his entrance. I love the theme of his entrance, like this switchblade serial killer kind of persona. But then you see him in the ring, and it's more of a smarmy kind of heel. Um, I would make I I would compare it akin to Edge, who is the radar superstar, the ultimate opportunist, taking those shortcuts, manipulating the match in order to play it to his favor, which is fine. Like both those, both the switchblade serial killer character or the smarmy smart heel character, both work fine. The problem I have is that when you're trying to book you have all these signs of the serial killer persona and then in the match you have the smarmy heel there's kind of like a disconnect for me i kind of would like to see him lean into a more serious uh not so much not tactical but a guy that's gonna 
brutalize his opponents, which he does in this. It's it's not quite the brutalized serial killer kind of way of going about his matches. It's more you like see, it's more like a cerebral game for him. I feel like the switchblade gimmick is like kind of him being a tryhard on purpose. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. Because I was gonna, like, I, I'm being this. I'm this edgy guy. You know? Like, <laughs> I was gonna say like, this. He's like, like the, I'm an edgy, like I'm an edgy dude on MySpace. He's like, you know what I mean, he's like, like that. I rich, feel like he's kind of going for that on purpose. He's that rich kid who gets everything he wants, who has the, all the latest tech and stuff, but he's an edgler because, like, oh, it's so cool to be edgy. Yeah, he's an he is an edge lord. That's his gimmick, and I feel like if you if you go into Jay White like thinking of his gimmick, not as like, oh, he's the switchblade. He's like, you know, he's like the BTK killer. You he's know, trying he's like, too hard. Yeah. And, and like, and instead be like, he's an edgelord. That's his gimmick. <laughs> the way he wrestles fits it so much better. Yes, I agree with that. But like, I don't know, just kind of thinking about it, like watching it the first time, like I had that disconnect. But as you watch him wrestle, it, it, you do kind of get that. Uh, portrayal that he's a tryhard edge lord that isn't that serial killer, but he's doing it so he's intimidating. Which you know, <laughs> but him himself, like the way he goes about this match, like he is a great heel. The heat he's he gets, you hear the boos when they're showing him as the IWGP Heavyweight Champion during that slideshow. The boos during his entrance. Um, you can't manufacture that kind of heat because it's not Baron Corbin go away heat or X Pac go away heat. It is legitimate. You are a shitty character, and we are going to boo you because that's our job. Um, where did David? Where did he get the championship? Was it at Wrestle Kingdom that year? He beat Tanahashi, not at Wrestle Kingdom, because Tanahashi beat Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom. But then Jay beat Tanahashi for the belt. It, it was like Tanahashi's first defense. It was like at New Beginning in like February. So it was like very, very soon after Tanahashi won the belt. And then he held it through that, yeah. Like most of that, like for the okay. So he he didn't hold it for that long, but like, like the whole thing was, you know, Okada had to go through and win the New Japan Cup to challenge Jay. It might have been Jay's first defense. I can't remember if it was his first, but it was at most like his it was his first defense. defense. Because they mentioned uh, if, if Jay White had lost the match, which he did, it'd be the first time that New Japan had back to back. Uh, heavyweight champions have zero def- successful defenses. The last one was Vader, and then someone else. I don't remember the name. Ooh, yeah, Vader. I knew- Back in '91, I'm a big Vader guy, as you guys know. I know. I knew it hadn't been very long that he had held the title because it was like I assumed that he would win because of Gato or something like that at the time, um, which was a, a kind of was part of the reason that I left because I was like, eh, it's fine. Okada's not going to win anyway. Um, but I, I, I was exhausted this sitting at home this morning watching this match again because he hits the, uh, he hits the full rainmaker and I was like, Oh, okay. It's about done. So like I finished typing my notes and then turned back to the match and he kicked out. And that was the moment that made me realize New Japan crowds are better than us. <laughs> did you did you pick up on that, David? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They care so much more than we did. We were all such smarks sitting in the crowd that 
What's that? Andy? I was gonna say that because for in New Japan, it feels like it's more of a show. And it's, like, a spectacle. it's a spectacle, yeah. yeah. Whereas here, the people, the unfor- uh, whether for better or for worse, and I think it, there's some a lot of moments where it's the worst. Most of the people going to wrestling matches are smarks because a oh lot, well, especially like a, a show like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think a lot of time the people that go for entertainment or would rather go see a either NFL game, NBA game, baseball game, like a professional mm-hmm. sporting event. I think a lot of that has to do with the culture, the stigma about people that watch professional wrestling, which exists. They don't want to go be sports entertained. Yes, they want to see like a legitimate event that has actual meaning and merit for the rankings, the standings, all that fun jazz. Yeah, absolutely. I just think this is a great match. Again, it is it is your prototypical New Japan uh, main event big show match in the way that it is paced, in the way that it is built up, and there is nobody who does that type of match better than the golden god, Okada. And he has never let us down. That man always delivers every single time. There's also- and then afterwards, they didn't show this on the show, he cut a very great promo in English to the fans after uh, the match was over. And oh. we all appreciate it. We all uh, applauded very politely. And uh, we all wished him uh, a good night. That's another thing with Okada, too, that I noticed, and it's why he's kind of a main event guy, is that his promo delivery and the way he talks, again, adds that air about him. I know I said Skrull was my oozing charisma guy, but Okada is definitely 1A of oozing charisma guys for this second half of the uh, G1 uh, supercard. Uh, Angela, do you, have, do you have anything else? Because we're about to miss the the, the section on the Angelo bingo card for today's episode. Well, guess what? I, I, I'm going to keep talking because I do have a little bit. Okay. So I, I, maybe I hit it here, but I'm, I think I might disappoint you, Jake. Um, the way, Again, the way Okada speaks, whether it's in Japanese or whether it's in English, like, uh, David, you told me to go watch that clip where he says, this is Skrull's last match before 205 Live. 205 um, <laughs> It's just so Ooh. good. His delivery is just so great. I enjoyed the mind games too, because not just you get to see all these great moves, but there's also a good story involved with Ghetto being Okada's former manager and in his role in the match in terms of distracting Okada and the ref. Uh, at the end of the match, where you see Jay White struggling to throw any good, meaningful punches, and then you have uh, Ghetto get up on the apron to or try to come in the ring, and you see Jay White just low blow Okada as the last gasp. I thought that was really great storytelling from start to finish. You also have Okada's fake slap in the very beginning, showing how many mind games are going to go into this match. And then you also have, where is that Jay White moment? Because Jay White had something in here. Um, Jay White's sitting out of the Rainmaker, so he's just too tired and just sits out, so he doesn't get hit with it and starts chuckling to himself. Is like, he's so tired that he avoided the Rainmaker. I don't know. This was a very good match. I, I don't think it was quite a Bushi uh, Naito, but this was still a very just satisfying pay-per-view uh, finale. Dang it. I was said, folks, if you had Angelo mentions a beautiful drop kick on your bingo card. Oh, Okada's drop kicks are spectacular. <laughs> I do have a note on that. So I yes, will give you, you the bingo. Note on it. All right, I do have I'm, the note. I'm validated. His, I'm validated. The missile then. drop kick he hits is just mwah. <laughs> Beautiful. When he jumped on the second rope and hit the drop kick, I was like, Angelo is going to mention that, so I'm going to put it in my notes. <laughs> also, shotgun, he hits a shotgun drop kick in this match, and I am a sucker for shotgun drop kicks. 
easier to do a good shotgun drop kick than it is is to do a good like just regular big boy. Oh, I'm sure. To tell you that. Oh, but he's got a beautiful standing drop kick too, though. Yes. Oh, he does. It's it's one of the best, if not the best, in wrestling right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, Angela, you said it. Just the aura about Okada is just he is a top guy. He has to be a top guy. He is a main event superstar. And he has had that about him the whole time he's been in New Japan. And it's just, it's it's funny how it works out. Because when he was coming up, he got sent on his excursion to TNA back in like 2010. And he, like, they did not use him like at all. They used him as like Samoa Joe's sidekick, who was also a ninja, I think, if, if I remember correctly. <laughs> They had this absolute god, and they didn't realize what they had. And New Japan was so pissed off by how they used Okada that they completely severed their working relationship with TNA and started working with Ring of Honor instead. Yeah, I think it was a smart choice. Pretty, pretty interesting little footnote in uh, the history of Okada. But so I think that that about wraps up our uh, coverage of these four big matches. So let's move on. Two or two and a half marks. Uh, Jake, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. So, actually, I need to find my list. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm going to give my half marks to New Japan crowds, even though they are not featured in any capacity whatsoever to this pay-per-view. I just, as I was watching it, I noticed, like, man, we're only popping for, like, a couple moves because we're all smarks and we're like, oh, this is the only time that this match is going to end. And then it didn't, and that's when we would pop. But New Japan crowds, like, they pop if there's, like, a sliding lariat, like, from a she, and then a cover, and they kick out. Like, we know they're not going to win it, and they probably know, but they don't care. So they still, like, I think sometimes people uh, criticize New Japan crowds, but they are actually really hot and, and really good. Um, they have more fun watching I, the matches. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's like we said, they go for the, and I think David and I have talked about this before, where they go for the spectacle of this huge event rather than um, to see a wrestling show. You know what I mean? Um, my one mark is going to go to Nex because Nex should have been broken in this card and nobody broke theirs, which I think is like a good thing. You know, isn't that a good thing? David's giving yeah. me the thumbs up. Good so job on you. Good job on you. Um, <laughs> like Naito and Ibushi, hate their necks and i don't really know why they just decide to slam each other onto their necks all the time but i know we mentioned the apron spot i i yelped like i gulped at that point because i i thought like i knew they they were fine but i still thought one of them died so uh one mark to necks um and my two marks guys it's got to go to a okada i couldn't even come up with anything funny or original to do here because Kazuchika Okada is just unbelievable, and he deserves a com- a place in the conversation for greatest of all time. And he's not done yet; he's still got more time to wrestle. And I think he absolutely, before it's all said and done, he will be in conversations with Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, those guys. And I say those as as the American counterparts um, to to the greatest of all time conversation. I, I think he'll end up there. Okada is just the absolute. 100% total package 
He has absolutely everything you could ask for for a professional wrestler to be the guy. He has it. He's six foot four. He looks like a god. He's an incredible worker. He's super charismatic. He knows how to structure a match. He knows how to connect with the crowd. He is the total prototype. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Angelo, you're up. All right. I'm going to start with my half mark. I'm going to, I think I'm going to give my half mark to the guy that I mark out for the most on these shows or what we review. So the half mark is going to go to Marty's girl. Uh, the fact that David was able to predict that one so far in advance is just a testament to David's knowledge about professional wrestling and who he has, who he's surrounded by, who people will like. So I think that David has some potential as a guy that can book in a wrestling event. So David, if wrestling doesn't work out for you, look into booking. I'm pretty sure WWE had a job posted on LinkedIn the other week. Um, but sc- I mean, I can, I can book if you are going to be the only audience. Cause I, I just, I feel like I have a sense of what stuff you in particular like about wrestling. I value, I value, I value unique characters and the ability to have, I think a unique move set or have a few unique moves thrown out there. Like that's kind of the reasons one of the reasons I like Matt Hardy was Matt Hardy had a uniqueness about him and his moves. You don't see a lot of people uh, use them. Like the side effect is a relatively simple move, but you don't see a lot of other wrestlers use it. Um, it's kind of like a unique thing to Matt Hardy and Jeff Hardy. Uh, so that was kind of why I marked out for him. Marty Skull, that uh, cross face chicken wing. It's such a simple move. But the reaction it got from that crowd when it was applied on the top of the ladder, it's just second to none. And having a guy that can develop a character that's very unique in kayfabe, and you know that's not the real person. You know that the Marty Skrull is not that real guy outside the ring. But as a character in a wrestling show, having someone that can build a gimmick like that and then execute it in the ring is just fantastic. Also, I watched a very quick clip of him versus Pete Dunne for the Destiny uh, World Wrestling Championship uh, that featured a lot of funny stuff, which is not something you expect from Pete Dunne, super serious wrestler. So, you know, kudos to him, because those two guys I find very similar in terms of like what they were as wrestlers. Uh, the one mark is going to go to Koto Ibushi, because, again, the a guy should not be that explosively athletic. If he wasn't wrestling... He would be doing some other professional sport, whether that would be basketball, whether it would be football, whether it would be anything that he wanted to do, he would have been able to do because he's just that athletic. I want to see Kota Ibushi catching passes from uh, Skylar Howard. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, man. Yes, please. Come play tight end. Wait, he is in the Japanese league, right? Yeah, he was dominating the the Japanese professional league. I'm trying to remember what the name of their Super Bowl is. (laughs) <laughs> but like he's just an absolute athlete even if the like he does have a little bit of john cena absolute white meat baby face to him but it doesn't matter because he's just awesome like the work <laughs> he does in the ring and just how earnest he is uh as a character again lends itself to all his matches and this match with naito was just again picture perfect and like jake said there's no other person you could give the two marks to and that is Kazuchika Okada. And the again, the air about him, the fact that he is this absolute main event guy. It looks like he came out of the womb as a main event guy. The match he puts on with Jay White. Now, Jay White does play a huge role in that match as that smarmy heel to help elicit the crowd. But Okada himself has shown that he's just, again, 
Well, like Jake said, probably one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. He's definitely in the top 10. Uh, they mentioned his uh, previous IWGP world title reign had 12 title defenses and lasted over 700 days. So that's almost that's two about two years of holding the title. And so you don't give a guy a two-year title reign if he isn't one of the best wrestlers on God's green earth, and that is Okada. Yeah. The Okada, like, two-year title reign oh, gosh. was absolutely unreal. Like, you had to be there. It's probably the best title reign in the history of wrestling. I, I mean, it's definitely in contention if it's not number one. For sure. All right, my two-and-a-half marks. My half mark goes to the Tetsuya Naito white suit entrance. Oh, man. Well, how did I miss that? Yes. Because, I mean, for me, again, I am... If there's anything that you should take away from the G1 Supercard, my, my, my talking about my experiences with it, I am a gigantic Naito mark. I am a huge LIJ mark. And like I said at, at the top when we were talking about it, you know it's a big match when Naito shows up in a white suit. And he just swaggers down to the ring. He's tranquilo. He's taking his time. He's the master of his domain. He takes it off one piece at a time. He is, I mean, the, the charisma with this guy is absolutely crazy unreal. And there is a reason why, in ter- uh, we talked about Tanahashi is absolutely insanely over, insanely popular in Japan. But the most popular wrestlers in that country, it's 1A and 1B, Tanahashi and Naito. Naito is insanely popular in Japan, and there's a reason why. It's because he's so goddamn cool and so charismatic. And I think that is kind of, you know, embodied in that entrance. My one mark goes to Red Shoes. (laughs) I wanted to acknowledge Red Shoes Uno, the head referee of New Japan Pro Wrestling. He refereed the Okada-Jay White match. And I just remember... When he shows up, he got a huge Red Shoes chant from the crowd. And he kind of did this, you know, he, he you know turned to the crowd and basically went like, oh, who, me? You're cheering for me? And the crowd went crazy for Red Shoes. <laughs> Everyone loves Red Shoes. He's great. And he's one of the few guys, he's so expressive and is like always doing something. Like he is one of the few referees ever to actively aid his matches and make them feel bigger and more important than they are. He is the best there is. David, we're not a fan of Brad Maddox. No, I am not a big Brad Maddox guy, actually. Thank you. Um, And then finally, my my two marks goes to a very specific form of Kota Ibushi. I'm talking about pissed Ibushi. (laughs) (laughs) Who we see a little bit of in the Naito-Ibushi match when he just kind of starts beating the shit out of Naito (laughs) about two-thirds of the way through this match. Normally, Kota Ibushi is like, you know, he's this this galloping deer in the forest. He is this beautiful man with a perfect body who is out there to, to just do a bunch of great and cool moves and do them perfectly, and the crowd sits there and is admires how magnificent he is. But then every now and then... He'll be in a match where he gets beaten up enough and gets disrespected enough by his opponent that he becomes pissed Ibushi. 
And there's this like specific look he gets on his face and look in his eyes that he gets. And he just starts going nuts. And I think Jake, the perfect example of this was his match with Okada at Wrestle Kingdom a few months ago that oh, we yeah. watched together. That was like the perfect example of Pistabushi when he just starts stomping Okada in the head. And <laughs> when Pistabushi shows, I mean, you know that a Kota Ibushi match is going to be great by virtue of Kota Ibushi being there. But when Pistabushi shows up, it takes it to a whole different level. And I just, I want to acknowledge the contributions of Pistabushi. And you can't overdo it. But every now and then, he supercharges a match with his Super Saiyan form. And you love to see it. So that will about wrap things up for our coverage of the G1 Supercard. Out of all the professional wrestling shows that I have been to, it was by far the best out of like, but you know, the other ones were all like Raw and SmackDown. So it's not, you know. You know, you know where I fall. Ah, uh, yes. I, I think you liked it slightly less than Capital Punishment 2011. Yes, sir. <laughs> but you can't beat an R Truth main event. No, exactly. So, we're going to go visit an old friend. Let's go. So. I'm so excited for this. We're hitting the randomizer. We it's, haven't done this in a while. It's been a month. It has I want trash. A full four weeks since we hit the randomizer to determine what we're going to watch next. Because we did the two-parter on WrestleMania 28, because that was a long show. And then we had this two-parter that was just a show that we picked ourselves to celebrate making it to double-digit episodes. We're going back to the randomizer. As I pull this up, guys, what are you hoping for? Trash. I want uh, something terrible. I kind of want something that's relatively recent, like maybe another early 2010s or late 2000s, just so we're still in the, a similar era. I want like just like December to dismember type. <laughs> well, we're actually going to be going back to WCW. Oh, way deep. WCW Slamboree 1993. Legends reunion at the Omni in Atlanta, Georgia. Main event, Big Vader versus Davey Boy Smith for the WCW Ooh. World Heavyweight Championship. I know you are a Davey Smith mark. You know I'm a big Davey So you Boy have Smith. Vader and Davey Boy Smith. David's not going to be able to contain himself. Oh, no, he's not. <laughs> and a NWA World Heavyweight Championship match between Barry Windham and Double A. The Enforcer, Arn Anderson. <laughs> yes, we have an Arn Anderson match. <laughs> and this is one I'm excited for. We're also going to get a Steel Cage World Tag Team title match involving the Hollywood Blondes, Brian Pillman, and stunning Steve Austin. <laughs> so that'll be a good one next <laughs> week. Who were they wrestling? They were taking on uh, Ricky Steamboat and Tom Zenk. Tom Zenk. Tom Zenk is a name I remember. He shouldn't be. I'm uh, really drawn blank. I don't know what Tom he looks Zank, like. I don't know what his gimmick is, but I know the name. Tom Zank, uh, best known probably for being, I mean, he was in WCW for a bit, like four or five years, but was never like really pushed that much. He was in WWF in the mid 80s for like a year. I think he teamed with Rick Martel. 
but they were like it was like before it was like the, before Rick Martel turned heel and became the model Rick Martel. They were like a clean cut babyface tag team, and then I think Tom Zank like just like quit WWF out of nowhere and was like blacklisted forever. And Vince McMahon refused to ever talk about him or acknowledge him ever again. So that is your, uh, your Tom Zank update. <laughs> and next week we're going to go a whole lot more into the life and career of Tom Zank in our coverage of Slamboree 1993. So until then, I'm David Statman. For Jake Long and Angelo and Glisa, once again, we say thanks, everybody, for listening.